This is Beat. David Guetta, bonjour. Ça va? How are you today? All good? I'm, I'm good. Ça va très bien. Merci. Well, Et toi? That was the full extent of my French. I know Etoile means and you, and I'm good, but <laughs> we're going to have to draw a line on it there. I was just trying to show off. Um, Let's Love is the new track with Sia. Your ninth collaboration with Sia, a proper musical marriage that really seems to work. Um, I have to ask, like, Titanium, when you did it with her back in 2011, was my first introduction to Sia. When was the first time you became introduced to her? Well, she was doing some super indie stuff um, before that I really liked. Um... And that's how I got to know her. But she, I think she was scared of going pop. Okay. Uh, you know, and, and we've, the first time we worked together, we wrote Titanium. And I, I thought that was like insane. And the way she was sounding was insane. So um, first we were doing this for another artist and she, uh, you know, she didn't want to stay on the record, but I, I really begged her to stay because I'm like, listen, like no one is going to sound better than you. It's just impossible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, finally uh, she stayed on the record and, and then, you know, I think that maybe changed her perspective a little bit and she was not so scared of pop anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, this was a, a record that changed my life. Uh, I think it changed hers too. And, and since we never stopped working together. There's a total 80s vibe to this. And as an 80s kid, I'm totally here for it. Anything on that vibe, I'm 100% involved. Give me all that synth wave. Give me that Miami Vice vibe. I, I'm, I'm, I just want it. But was- and I met it in Miami. <laughs> oh, really? So I Lovely. was completely in the Miami Vice inspiration. Amazing. Well, that's what I wanted to ask. That Was this something that you set out to make from the start or did it just develop in the studio? How did it work? No, no, actually, we wrote a ballad together. Like, I texted her, I really want to make a happy song about going through this together and not against each other. There's so much tensions in America. It's really crazy. Uh, can we just make a happy song? And she said, yeah, I love this concept. I sent her some simple uh, ballad piano chords, and she wrote a ballad. It was never written like this at the beginning. And then, being in Miami thinking like, oh, I want to make something super happy and probably, uh, you know, the 80s were, were the moment of the feel-good, happy choruses. And also, I love synthwave, you know. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, the analog sound from the first sense. So, yeah, it was perfect. And I produced it like this. She was actually very surprised when I sent it back to her. <laughs> That's something I wanted to ask you about because you've worked with so many big names. How much involvement would you generally have on, say, the lyrics side of things? Because it's always fascinated by me when it comes to um, like big commercial dance hits. It's your name on the tin. Obviously, there's a big name collaborator there as well. But it must be quite hard to turn around to somebody like Justin Bieber or Kid Cudi and be like, don't really think that line works there. You know, like, would you, would you kind of leave them in charge of lyrics or... Uh, well, it depends who. Um, first, most artists don't write their songs. Mm-hmm. They are singers, and, and they bring a lot, of course, by the way they're singing it. But usually I go to an artist with a song that is already written, and sometimes they ask me to change some some lyrics. Uh, but if it's Sia, no, I'm not going to tell her, <laughs> change this or change that. Or if it's Kid Curry, no, I'm not. No. Uh, but 
it happens very often, yes, that I would say, oh, I'm not sure about this part. And also, there's something interesting uh, with the way I'm working, and they actually like this, because I was ra- I'm French, and I was raised listening to American music or British music, not understanding the words. Oh, wow. And this is really influential on the way I've learned how to make songs because I know what it is not to understand the words. And I know that certain words translate internationally, even to people that don't speak English. Mm -hmm. So I'm always trying to, when I'm with a songwriter, I'm always trying to tell them, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm back to my shoes of when I couldn't speak good English. Can we pick a few easy words that people would understand, even if they're not good in English, you know? I get that. So it's kind of like an international understanding, regardless of language capabilities. It's really interesting, the viewpoint. Just speaking of American music there, that's what I wanted to throw it back to, because something that I've always credited you with in conversation with other people is that when you did Sexy Bitch with Akon, that changed the landscape of commercial music in my eyes forever, because it was the real first merging of a European dance sound hooking up with uh, a hip-hop or an R&B artist of the US. And so like many copycats came after. And it really, like as someone who works in radio and is you know, inherently aware of the commercial music landscape, did you realise at the time just how big a deal that was? Or was it only afterwards when you look back? Like when you were making it, did you think there's nobody else doing this kind of thing? It was such a niche. Yes, absolutely. This was uh, this was the challenge of uh, this moment uh, of my life. You know, um, I always loved urban music, and uh, at the same time, I was always into electronic. And um, at the time, I was listening to a lot of uh, uh, Dutch house music that also had a little bit of that. I don't know, like hood vibe, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but just that it was uh, four on the floor, you know, like a like a G house a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, I couldn't make this more melodic, you know. I could I could use this type of drums, but but come with the type of melodies that I love, you know. And and um, it was quite a risk, actually. By the way, I was killed by the scene for doing this of course it was it was terrible and uh like i had so many haters for doing this uh, because they would consider that i was uh like a treasure to the culture or something crazy like this and and well 10 years after uh, everybody's doing it now but mm-hmm. at the time yes it was uh it was not very welcome I remember having a, a very interesting interview with a, an, an underground, internationally famous DJ who shall remain nameless. And this is going back maybe 10 years ago. And we spoke about your success. And he said he wished you every success, but he said, look, the music is not for me. I just don't play it. And I was able to turn around and pull him and say, well, you did actually play it because you played it during the BBC uh, Essential Mix in Ibiza in 2006. You played a remix of David Guedes and it was the Joe T. Vanelli mix of Love Don't Let Me Go. And this DJ was very surprised to learn they had played it then. And it was almost just like you know they weren't aware at the time of what it was set to become and you know at that stage they were like oh I don't play that music I'm not into that music but four or five years previous there they were on the essential mix you know which I thought was hilarious 
This this happens a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, your Jack Back um, alias is a real throwback to those underground sounds. That track Grenade from a few years ago was an absolute beast of a thing. There's a real early noughties terrace at space vibe to that sound, I always thought. That's what it kind of reminded me of, you know? Um, when you're in the studio making stuff like that, do you have to rein yourself in sometimes so that it doesn't veer into David Guetta territory? So it doesn't sound too commercial and you kind of want to keep it underground. Is it hard to, to keep those worlds separate in the studio? Yes, it is. It is because sometimes, you know, I have a very pop ear. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes when I do Jack back, I want to make it bigger, but then I have to refrain myself <laughs> from doing this, you know. Mm. Uh, um, but, but, I was also a house DJ for many, many years. You know, I was, I was playing underground parties for so many years. So um, uh, I love this. I, uh, I absolutely love house music and, uh, or even some other type of, of, of music that there's right now, all the melodic techno stuff I love, you know, what, what Taylor was playing, the Arbat records. I, I love all of this. Do you ever wish you could just kind of turn up at an old underground club like the Rex or somewhere and play a 500 capacity gig, you know, unnamed, just show up and play some records? Actually, I did this and this is this is, um, this is exactly why I created Jack Bad because one day uh, you're talking about the Rex. So for people to know, uh, the Rex is like the legendary uh, techno club in, in, in Paris and uh, very, very underground. Um, but I started at the Rex. And, uh, you know, people don't necessarily know that, of course. Uh, so one day they've asked me, and that was before Jack Bauer, they've asked me to come play uh, and to play uh, an underground set there the way I was doing it when I started and when I was playing there. But the party didn't go well because there was like uh, thousands and thousands of people outside that couldn't get in. And then the people that were inside didn't understand why I was not playing. I got a fitting and titanium and all of this. Mm-hmm. So this is actually, it's funny that you mentioned the race because it's that specific gig that made me want to create an alias so that when I play a Jackback show, you know, I'm honest to the people. They know what to expect and they know they're not going to have my hits. Uh, you know, so that's why I created it. Okay, that's really interesting. I've spent, I've been to the Rex twice. I got in once, uh, because, uh, but I had to queue the previous night because I didn't have a ticket. So I waited for like three hours and then I was left out in the cold. Oh, and I went back the next night. What a serious club though. Um, speaking of all places like that, during lockdown, something I did uh, after being inspired by watching Carl Cox's live streams, I set up my old Technics and I dug out my vinyl and I went back at a mix. And man, that is hard stuff. It's, it's, a, it's a muscle memory that is tough to recover when you've been away from it for a long time. Can you remember the last time you would have dug out the vinyl and had a bit of a mix like that? Oh, my God, such a long time ago. Because, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I'm always into technology. So the minute uh, Pioneer came with the CDJ, I embraced it immediately mm-hmm. uh, and started to play with CDs uh, just because there was more technical possibilities. So to me, it was like, why would you, to be honest, like I know some people are going to hate on me for saying this, like, like, I don't get it. Why would you play vinyls today? It doesn't make sense to me, you know? And I know there's a, a big culture around this and, and it's so cool to play vinyls. Like, I personally don't get it. Why are you going to break your back carrying all those heavy 
uh, records. I, I did this for, for 15 years of my life, you know, um, so if I can come with, um, you know, a USB that is the equivalent of the box, I think some people don't understand when they say, oh, he plays from USB. What does that? <laughs> it's so ridiculous. A USB is just a box full of records, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that it's pre-recorded. Um, so, no, I don't regret uh, uh, vinyls. There was a certain charm into it. I'm not going to deny it. Uh, but Especially uh, in terms of the collecting, you know what I mean? In terms of going to the shop and, you know, maybe yeah, getting the only copy and, in the and shop. Visual. There's it was a, an object. There's a beauty this in that. something I really like, you know. Uh, uh, I, I kind of miss this, I agree. But technically what we uh, can do now with uh, the CDJ system or, or even other uh, system, you know, uh, uh, like Serato or, or stuff like this, even though I don't use it, the, the, the possibilities creatively are way bigger. Mm -hmm. So that's what we could do with vinyls, you know, and if you want the vinyl touch, you can have a vinyl controller. It's, 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 but I mean, this is very personal. I respect everyone uh, <laughs> that that wanna uh, play vinyl. But yes, uh, it would be fun for me to try and see if I can still do it. It's you really should. Trust me, it's it's a jungle out there. It's that muscle memory. <laughs> it's slow to come back. Um, speaking of technology, last question I'll talk to you about. Uh, during lockdown, you raised uh, quite a lot of money during your United at Home live streams, over one point five million dollars for uh, COVID nineteen charities. Given your lifestyle in terms of like playing to large, massive arenas and crowds nowadays, did you find it a strange instance to perform just to a camera and also with so many eyes, like like 50 million views uh, in total? So that's a lot of eyes watching your every single move. And you know as well as I do from being a DJ that in a live situation, you can get away with a lot more if it slips <laughs> or, so or fluffs. Did you feel the pressure when performing just to a camera and knowing that? Yes, yes, you know? yes, you're right. Okay, first I had a trick. My trick was that the first show I did was in Miami and it was in the middle of uh, lots of towers. So people were on their balconies. Uh, it was not like a real crowd, but psychologically I was like, okay, I'm playing for this guy and this mm -hmm. girl. Ooh, this girl is hot. She can dance. <laughs> you know, I, was, <laughs> I was still performing. almost like being in a club, you know. Um, and this helped me. The second time was in New York City um, on the top of the rock, which was unbelievable uh, in terms of views. But then I had only people on Zoom. And yes, I was missing the crowd. It's, it's different. Um, uh, and, and yes, you're right. You can make small mistakes mm. uh, that people don't really see when you're in a club but when it's filmed it's on YouTube forever yeah, and there's, <laughs> there's nothing worse than a crowd of DJs just waiting to jump on another DJ for a little oh for a mix you know oh my god I hate this uh, you're going back to Ibiza in 2021 hi Ibiza uh, the latest installment of Fuck Me I'm Famous what else can we expect in 2021 is there loads more new music to come that's been written in lockdown or man I'm making beats every day so uh, you know I think uh, we're good for 10 years we have <laughs> so much new music it's like ridiculous excellent excellent well listen I wish you all the best with us uh, stay safe to you and yours and uh, I wish you all the continued success David all the best alright thank you thank all you man thank have you a so good much. one 